Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode two of series eight of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to acknowledge that we are continuing to endure a worrying and uncertain time. COVID-19 has changed our world irrevocably. And I just want to say to every listener, stay well, stay safe, and try to keep positive. I hope the podcast provides some respite, albeit brief, from the situation. The crisis has forced us into a few changes in how we make this podcast. Usually we record episodes face-to-face in our studio in London. Social distancing means we've had to adapt, but there is a silver lining as our guest on this week's episode is able to join us all the way from Melbourne, Australia. In his words, people analytics is truly more impactful than ever. It's gone from being a strategic differentiator, the best CHROs demand, to an absolute essential to manage the crisis. Those are the words of Thomas Rasmussen, this week's guest on the podcast, and one of the most respected and preeminent people analytics leaders in the world. Thomas has built and led people analytics teams at AP Bonamersk, Shell, and now National Australia Bank, where he has responsibility for employee experience, digital, HR strategy, as well as people analytics. In our conversation, Thomas and I discuss how people analytics is helping support executives, managers, and colleagues at National Australia Bank during the pandemic. We reflect on the progress of people analytics since Thomas and Dave Ulrich published their seminal 2015 paper, How HR Analytics Avoids Being a Fad, and why people analytics needs to be based in HR. We also talk about how people analytics is organized at National Australia Bank, provide example case studies of the work, and how by bringing employee experience, analytics, and digital together, creates a powerhouse and enables the scaling of analytics. We also look at the importance of ethics and how this underpins people analytics and the use of people data for good. This episode is a must listen for anyone in a workforce or people analytics role, HR and business professionals interested in how people data can drive business outcomes, and CHROs looking to build or scale their people analytics capabilities. Also, to celebrate one year of the podcast, we thought we'd tell you a little bit more about our company, Insight 222. We set up Insight 222 to help our clients put people analytics at the center of business. Insight 222 is a global professional services firm providing leading edge consulting, learning, networking, and advisory services that enable organizations to deliver business value through people analytics and data-driven HR. Interacting directly with chief human resources officers and their key staff in people analytics, strategy, planning, and digital HR, our clients and partners include 70 of the world's leading organizations. If you want to find out more, please visit insight222.com or get in touch directly with me. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Thomas Rasmussen, Executive for Workforce Strategy, Digital and Analytics at National Australia Bank, all the way from Melbourne to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Please, can you provide listeners with a quick introduction to your background and your current role at National Australia Bank? Sure. And again, uh, David, thanks for having me. This is my favorite podcast series, so excited to be part of it. Um, I've been with National Australia Bank for a bit more than uh, three years. Uh, my current role is, uh, is really to look after our workforce strategy, digital and analytics, uh, which is a very exciting task. Um, before that, I spent four years at Royal Dot Shell, uh, helping build the uh, people analytics um, setup there. 
Uh, and before that, spent seven years in a company called AP Miller-Mersk, uh, shipping energy logistics, 100,000 people at the time, um, uh, obviously global and based out of Copenhagen, Denmark, where I'm from. And yeah, if I go back even further, that's when I spent some time in academia and uh, did a PhD when I was very young. And also you've been, we, we, we first met, I think, at a conference in London back in 2014, where you and the team from Shell were speaking. Um, and the the people analytics space has moved on a lot since then, and probably even more so since since you got into it at AP Moller Maersk. Um, you, your, the scope of your role at the bank has has recently increased, and you, you're covering a number of different areas as you touched upon, but including colleague experience, digital strategy, and even MPS voice of customer as well as people analytics. You know how give us give us can you give us a sense of how the team is organised and how bringing all these areas together helps you to scale analytics in the bank? Sure. And, and some, of, some of the elements in terms of measuring customer satisfaction and really driving that is, is a relatively recent thing. Um, so I'll have to give you a rain check on, on how exactly we set that up. But otherwise, the, the simple philosophy is really that you need, you need people analytics um, to sit together with your employee experience and with your digital, which is basically the oversight of all the HR technology and implementation of that together with our um, great colleagues in, uh, in the technology function. And the idea is quite simple. So the people analytics basically shows you what works in terms of driving value, in terms of reducing cost, in terms of uh, improving customer outcomes. Um, but typically those findings are a bit high level. So it will show you where there's value. And then the question very quickly becomes, how do you turn that into change behavior? So really sort of the so what, how do you extract the value? And you use employee experience or colleague experience and human sense of design to turn that into nudging. And so you make it easy and appealing for people to do the right thing and to do the things that you want them to do. Um, so far, so good. Um, then the challenge becomes, how do you scale it? And you can't scale it without technology. And so that's really where you need to work with uh, with great vendors, have a great ecosystem, work with your architecture, work with your technology colleagues. So you have sort of that big solution really scaled across the, um, the uh, 34,000 people at National Australia Bank. And that's really how you, you go from, from insights um, to, um, to behavior that has the, the positive impact. So that, that's the idea of the, of the setup. And it's interesting, obviously, do you, th I mean, it was your view that, you know, a people analytics team needs to reach a certain level of maturity and demonstrate value before it, it gets, you know, it, it gets combined with with colleague experience and, and digital. Because it, it makes a lot of sense to me, because if you want to personalize employee experience, if you want to actually create relevant nudges for people, you need the data to underpin it. But so many in so many organizations, these are kind of two separate things. Yeah, I think they um, they really are a perfect match. And it's also once you actually then in implement it, and we do this in iterative agile cycles. So it's not about, okay, we're going to plan a project and, you know, spend some money. And then after a year, we'll implement it and see if it works. It's really sort of by those small drops. So it's, it's test and learn. Um, but it just accelerates uh, all three elements and they play really well together. Um, and the great thing is you then also get some data out of that process. So you use the uh, technology to scale it, but it also gives you the data you need to actually get feedback on how it's running and, and how you improve it and how you optimize it. So that's, that's quite exciting. And we saw recently at the Pafau online conference when you and Sally Smith were, were talking about some of the work that you were doing at the bank in response to COVID-19. 
you know, one of, I feel that speaking to, to you and your peers around the world, you know, one of the bittersweet aspects of this crisis is that people analytics is being elevated. Um, but I think it'd be it'd be nice for people listening to this who weren't who didn't tune into Pathal to if you can outline some of the ways that People Analytics is helping support executive managers and colleagues at the bank in this you know th these troubled times. Sure, um, and I guess sort of um, four sort of tangible immediate things come to mind. So first of all, there's daily reporting. Um, so where are our people? How are they doing? How many are absent? Uh, do we need to be concerned? Uh, do we have some that uh, that have been with, been out sick for a longer time that we need to immediately contact? So really, that element which uh, which enables you to uh, to provide the level of care that you need for your colleagues. Um, so that's typically stuff that's reported on a at best weekly, sometimes you know every every fortnight or, or typically monthly basis. And all of a sudden, you need to do that daily um, and really sort of spiffing that up. Um, and that takes a bit of work. And beyond that, there is um, getting feedback. So NAP has been really outstanding in terms of communicating um, to its uh, 34,000 colleagues on what's going on, what are we doing, what's happening. Um, and you need to supplement that with two-way communication and making sure that you get some feedback as well. Um, so we partnered with Glint. Um, and um, today, uh, actually, we deployed our third uh, survey, which is just, you know, two to five days, short, sharp questions where we get valuable information, automated analytics of all the verbatims and really sort of helps us take, take the right action. So that has been invaluable. Um, so all our leaders actually got that, got that feedback in terms of how is the team actually doing um, and really, uh, really getting that input. We also very quickly uh, implemented by the great work that Sally Smith uh, did um, and together with our partners in, in technology as well, who really help us deliver all the things we do, um, organizational network analytics. Um, so we deployed Microsoft's workplace analytics product um, and, and also, you know, in addition to exact level reporting on workload and changes in work patterns and so on as, as we moved um, 80% of our workforce to actually be working from home over a very short period of time. Um, we, we sent reports to almost 3,000 people leaders based on, you know, what's the, what, what does it look like for your particular team and how does that compare to the baseline we had in February and so on. And again, with the intent of, of leaders being able to better support and take care of their, of their colleagues. Um, so truly fascinating. Um, many other elements uh, were around uh, deploying the right resources to the front line. So you can imagine a, um, a bank with a proud history like National Australia Bank. We obviously want to be there to support our many customers, including many small business, um, uh, many business, uh, small business customers. Um, and many of them are uh, impacted by the, the current situation um, with almost a complete lockdown of the Australian economy. And that, of course, meant a huge spike in you know, phone calls, emails, uh, contacts from our customers. Um, so uh, the, the talent team used data to help redeploy uh, a thousand colleagues from other places in the bank that had previous experience with those frontline direct customer support um, roles uh, within a very, very short timeline. So all about getting uh, people with the right skills to the right jobs very, very quickly. So those were sort of four of the immediate, very tangible things that, that we've done the, the last week. And just touching on the, the kind of organizational network analysis part, I mean, I think it's, it's great to see that you were combining, combining the active kind of data sources such as the surveys with some of the passive data that we can get from, from, from network analysis. Because I think 
we hear we read lots of stuff about the challenges for employees about suddenly working remotely and clearly there are many challenges involved in that myriad of, of challenges but maybe what's less talked about is the challenges for managers suddenly having to manage remote teams many of whom for the first time so I, i'm guessing that those insights were really important and and gave them information to help them manage um, their teams better yeah, you're absolutely right. And they were, you know, they weren't an isolated thing. Um, it was part of a broader um, effort to really support leaders and to, to help support our, our colleagues so that they can do great things for our customers every day. Um, so we, there were various webinars, uh, training material, refresh courses in terms of how do you actually manage a remote team? Because um, a lot of people haven't tried it before and it, it is very different. And you're also managing a remote team that's never tried it before. And I guess the silver lining of all of this is, sure, uh, there are some, some teething problems and some challenges, but there are also quite a lot of upsides to that in terms of um, increased flexibility. Um, also, you know, location all of a sudden doesn't matter anymore. And so it, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for everyone to be there on, on equal terms. And we also saw a lot of leaders really dialing up the frequency of communication, uh, which we can see is, is having clear and positive results, right? Um, so. Um, really sort of part of a broader uh, broader package, uh, supporting our people leaders with our um, colleagues from leadership development uh, and from learning and from other parts of the bank really chipping in and also great external speakers um, providing uh, advice and tips and tricks to our leaders. I mean, from speaking to many peers, uh, as I said earlier, speaking to many of your peers around the world, it, it's clear that people analytics is playing an important role. Uh, in organizational responses to the crisis and probably, and I know as well, in plans for return to the workplace as well. I mean, do you think people analytics will come even more important as we emerge into the next normal, if we can call it that? I definitely think so. Um, because um, so we've talked about this before, David, offline. And, and, you know, I've often said that, you know, if you go back one or two years, it, it's a bit of a, the best chief people officers, they have people analytics, predictive capability, and they can't live without them. And um, really as part of, you know, identifying value, driving insights. And there's this old saying that, you know, it, it's not about knowing where the puck is, but it's about knowing where it's going to be if you want to win. And it, it's very similar with people, right? So you need the, the reporting, which is where the puck is, but you need the analytics to figure out where it's going to be so you can, you can move with the business. Um, but it was still an elective and, and some chief HR officers could decide, ah, we don't need that and so on. And I think that that's changing um, because now it's an absolute must. If you don't have that basic data, um, you, it's very, very hard to manage through the crisis. And if you don't have the predictive elements, it's also very hard to do um, sensible scenarios in terms of what's going to happen in the future and, and what type of conversations uh, should we be having about um, our response to those different scenarios. Um, so. It's moved to the um, to, to the center of, of many things, um, but again, it's an integrated part of separate, several different um, different uh, value chains, as I see it. Um, and I don't see any reason for why it shouldn't stay there uh, once uh, restrictions hopefully start to ease a bit. And it's it's interesting actually from a lot of the people, again, your peers are speaking to around the world, those that had already had that stakeholder equity and built those all important relationships with senior people in the business and, and in, in HR, they seem to be really, I mean, they, 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 I, I hear from, we're busier than we've ever been, David. 
And then there's a few others that I speak to who maybe haven't quite developed that stakeholder equity yet. And they're still doing work, but they're not really doing much in, in relation to the, to the COVID situation. And I thought, and I know this is something that, that you've talked about before, the importance of building those stakeholder relationships. I just thought it'd be good to hear a little few words from you in this that will help some of our listeners trying to do the same. Yeah, definitely. So the analogy that I'd use is, you know, so imagine you're at some ski resort and there's no snow and all of a sudden you get two meters of snow. You can get a lot of skiing done if you know how to ski. Um, but if you don't, uh, then, you know, you still get some skiing done, um, but it will take a bit longer because you, you can't go on, on those fun slopes and you can't go off piste and so on. And, and I guess that's what we're seeing. So you do have an advantage if you have that maturity. Um, and my view is that, you know, people analytics um, is, is an end-to-end -end value chain. Um, there are bits in the middle that are technical and very much about science and technology and statistics and all that stuff. But there are bits and pieces at the ends of that value chain that are very social and very business focused. So number one, you need to know what to look at. What is the business concerned about? And that requires you to understand your business and, and talk to your business stakeholders about what's on their mind. Then there's a lot of analytics and tech and so on in the middle. Um, but at the end of it, you also then need to clearly communicate so what. Here are the results, here are the findings, the so what, and how are we going to turn that into action? Um, and, and I think it's, it's those two elements that you really see being spiffed up and greatly supported by the, 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 sort of, uh, the, the harder stuff in the middle of the people analytics value. Let's continue with this conversation around the field, of, the field itself. Um, and we've, we've talked about this as well before. The paper you published with Dave Orich, I think it was in 2015, um, I think it's the most downloaded paper on people analytics um, that, that, that there's been certainly heavily downloaded. And you identified four key suggestions to avoid people analytics being a fad. Um, you know, focus the work on business problems, as you just talked about, taking analytics out of HR, remembering the human and human resources, which kind of place the human centered design that you, you talked about there and training HR professionals to have an analytical mindset. You know, as you reflect on on those those four suggestions five years later you know what progress do you feel, feel, believe the field has made and would you add or remove any of those additional suggestions yeah so it's uh, yeah and it's amazing how time flies right and 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 Dave Ulrich and I we wrote the paper in 2014 it just got published in 15 so it's actually you know e even more time uh, has gone past and I think sort of my own reflection is I would not take um, um, people analytics out of that people division or HR analytics out of HR anymore. Um, because it's, it's abundantly clear to me that you need that subject matter expertise. And a lot of it is applied social science, so psychology, econometrics, uh, and so on. Um, but also sort of truly understanding your leaders. And you, meet, you need to be very close to your business partners uh, that, that front this conversation into the business. Otherwise, it's going to be too hard because typically the analytics is stuff you integrate into other things. And so HI initiatives and processes. And if you don't understand those, it's, it becomes very hard to translate it and, and basically monetize the analytics. And so that, that's, that's one learning for me. Um, and I think that's greatly helped by the fact that analytics, I think there's still a common core to analytics. Um, in terms of the stuff in the middle around technology um, and, and the great prospects of having a data lake. And so basically every division, every, every area of a company pooling uh, data sources together and then everybody using that data lake um, as a starting point for analytics. I think that's there to, to, to stay as the shared core. Um, of course, supported by some centralized resources. Um, but you still need sort of a, a hop and spoke model 
or you have central stuff in a, in a company, uh, but you need that spoke element simply because you need business proximity and so that you can you can monetize it. So that that's a bit of a development, and I think we were also we were deliberately trying to be a little bit provocative at the time in terms of you know take take it out of HR and and we. We didn't know anybody was actually going to read the paper, um, so we thought, okay, we might as well throw it out there and see if we get a reaction. And we we most certainly did. You, you did, and and I but I think that importance because now most people do understand the need to focus on the business problem. But I think back then, and even I still see it sometimes. You know, people start with the data and they'll try and find something in the data. And you'll know yourself if you give data to to a data scientist, they'll find something. But it might not be relevant and, and it can take a lot of time to get some insights out and, and, and everything else. So I think that that focus on business first is, is very important. I think it's a lesson for that the community um, can take. And I think the last one you, 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 you talked about there was um, the need to train HR professionals to have an analytical mindset. Um, and I still I, I think we've moved on. We've clearly moved on a lot since then. Um, what are some of the ways that that, that you would advise um, companies um, to, to to actually to do that? How do you get your HR pro- professionals more to have that analytical mindset? So I think it's a, it's a combination of different things, right? So so number one, you need to enable your HR business partners to to do that, to play in that space, and to have that role. So there's something about you know level of seniority and the people you attract, and making sure the roles are appropriately sized. There's another element which is really about removing all the all the stuff that otherwise could take time. Um, so you know, admin stuff, providing reporting, all of that stuff, right? Um, and I think that's where digitization and um, and really technology and process simplification helps. Because then you strip out some of those more transactional elements that an HR partner would otherwise have to spend quite a lot of time on, um, and that enables them to have that. A different different conversation and different discussion where it's more about uh, providing insights and strategic advice than okay l- let me run this process for you and and let me know where where you are in that process so as you automate that you lift the other elements um and then i guess it's just it's also um it's really great business partners i mean their their true quality is linking people culture structure to business needs right and um, and Data analytics is just a, a means to an end to actually do that. Uh, and business partners that can, that can do all three, um, they just get better outcomes, right? Um, so I guess I guess that's what we're seeing. Um, so I don't think it's it's not enough to just train people in in statistics. It's it's also enabling them by taking away some of the other stuff that that otherwise fills up their day. Yeah, because I think what's underappreciated a lot is the sheer volume of work that a business partner gets asked to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So. And actually, another area you're talking about there, which I think we'll, we'll touch on again here, is the keeping analytics in HR or people analytics in HR. I was fortunate to spend some time with Sally Smith and people analytics team down at NAB. I think you were skiing at the time uh, in, uh, in, in the um, Northern Hemisphere summer of 2018. Um, and one of the things that really impressed me was the community of data and analytics professionals you have at the bank. Can you kind of outline this a little bit and talk to how this helps the work and careers of 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 your team and other data professionals at the bank as well sure so i mean a lot of elements of analytics or so the core core analytics skills i mean that's really um, that's really generic and it doesn't matter if you're doing it for finance or you do it for risk or you do it for people or you do it based on customer data and um, because you need to know about architecture you need to know about um data config, you need to know about statistics, you need to know about visualization and all of those elements. 
Um, so essentially, by by creating this community with the which the uh, technology division in NAP has done, um, a lot of sort of uh, analysts and data scientists are seeing that you know it's not just me and then the uh, the, the eight other people in in my division. It's it's the eight hundred people across the entire company. Uh, that can share this, right? And then you can start uh, sharing learning and have like machine learning uh, competitions and who does the best one gets a badge and all that stuff, right? Um, and it opens up uh, career paths as well and also an opportunity to learn from each other, right? Um, and I think the big prospect of companies that do that is um, you can really, you can develop faster if you do it together with others versus doing it in isolation. So I think that is that's truly fascinating. Um, and then it's just a, it's just more fun and it's a better value proposition and you have a much wider career paths, right? Because then you can do it in, in different elements. Um, and that's really sort of for, for those core things that are the same. You still need to pick up those um, uh, subject matter expertise areas. Um, so risk, if you work in risk, you need to know about customers and you and customer uh, facing divisions or customer service and so on. And of course, people and psychology, if you're in a people division. And then slowly but surely, you start joining the dots between it and, and start analyzing stuff across value chains rather than just through sort of one vertical. And so I think, I think that's pretty great to hear. And there is a lot of buzz. Um, we managed to fill up that auditorium that you also filled up a couple of times when you were kind enough to speak for, for the NAP colleagues. That, that happens on a monthly basis on pretty, um, pretty technical topics, um, uh, you know, machine le uh, learning, algorithms, whatnot, uh, we can easily attract 400 uh, people to a, to a session on that. Yeah, it was pretty daunting for me. It's, Sally had set up a, a few sessions, some with the team, some with the kind of external analytics, uh, people analytics community you've helped build down there, um, and some with HR. And then she said, we'd really like you to speak to our data professionals. I was going, hmm. Okay, so the first thing I started I'm not a data scientist. This is not going to be a technical presentation. Um, but I think I think there there was a general interest in how HR is taking some of these machine learning um, ideas and actually translating that into programs for employees. So uh, yeah, I was it was daunting, but um, but it was it was fortunately it was well received. Oh, don't don't worry about that. You got great feedback. Uh, they want you to come back. So maybe maybe when we're through the lockdown, we can we can bring you down again. Hopefully. Well, that would be good. And if we can combine it with the ashes uh, when we're down, when that's next down in Australia, that would be good as well. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so actually, on that, uh, and again, uh, I know we've talked about a number of uh, case studies that you've done at the bank before. Are you able to provide an example that provides a good example of how? People Analytics has delivered value to the bank, its customers, and its workforce as well. Uh, yeah, so I think um, I think there's a very live case. So I saw, and again, I saw one of our great uh, HR business partners working on on stuff like this, right? And one, there, there are many things, right? So we showed, for instance, that you know our branches with higher engagement, they deliver better customer outcomes, so better customer satisfaction, right? And it's it's because engagement is contagious. And the next question then becomes, okay, what what drives that? That's actually leadership. Um, uh, okay, so we better select some better leaders and, and provide better training and provide better support, and then you get those outcomes. So sort of a value chain like that, which ends up in better customer service to our to our customers, right? Um, and and a better experience for for all our colleagues. Um, recently, uh, there's, there's a lot of great work on how much time do you need to stay in a role um, before you truly master it, um, and we can see that that is a, that's a really good proxy for how capable you are. 
Um, and, and we can see that that greatly impacts our customer outcomes, right? Um, and a number of things impact how long you want to stay in, the, in, in a role and so on. So we need to make it attractive for you to stay and build capability and deepen relationship with customers. I think that that's one of those areas where, where we can actually quite, uh, quite accurately track, you know, how do you fine tune um, a setup so you deliver the best outcomes for your, uh, for your customers in terms of just hitting that optimal time and role because that varies a lot depending on the role it's in. And how do you make sure that, you know, you then manage, you know, how many do we need to come in to new roles versus how many come out and, and all of that stuff. So I think, I think that's, that's, it's truly fascinating. Um, and again, this focus on always working towards uh, business outcomes. Um, so the HR element or the people element is an element in a value chain. Um, but without, without the full chain, um, it's, it's, it's not of value. But then seeing it all come together and then seeing the outcomes of it is, um, is the amazing bit. And with that data community you have, you know, a number of those projects, you're working very closely with the customer analytics team, for example, and bringing the customer data and the, and the people data together. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it probably won't be a big surprise to many, right? But, you know, if you make your colleagues happy, um, they will take care of your uh, customers. And, you know, over time, that, take care, that takes care of your shareholders. Um, so I'm really proud of, of the way NAB is framing this. Um, and we have this notion of, uh, of really, really driving that. Um, and we're seeing, we're seeing that again and again and again in data, right? And it's just because, um, you know, happy, engaged employees, it's contagious. And we know it when we're a customer, right? Um, when we meet somebody who's, you know, fired up and, and switched on, we can feel it. And, and we probably buy more. We probably get an extra coffee or, yeah, okay, we're going to add that extra dessert or whatever, right? Versus if it's somebody who's depleted of energy for various reasons, there can be many reasons for it. We're probably less inclined to do it. So we can just see that human connection really, really sparking here, right? There are many, many other things that also impact the customer uh, satisfaction for sure. Uh, your product needs to be in order, how it's delivered and all that stuff. But the people delivering is um, it's just crucial. So... So what's next? You know, what what are what are some of the areas you'll be focusing on in the next twelve to eighteen months at, at NAB? And I appreciate that you know you only recently had the role expanded, so I guess you know some of that is probably still to be confirmed. So I think uh, we have a, we have an amazing opportunity um, to um, to to really drive progress collectively, and I mean sort of I really mean the entire bank, right? So we are we're into a good habit of of really good communication, constantly getting feedback and really good collaboration across all aspects of NAP. Um, and we're all getting better and better and better at leveraging data and insights um, and also uh, using the same data and insights. So that's what I see really progressing. Um, whereas, you know, some companies can have a tendency to only believe that the stuff they cooked up themselves, um, but really sort of uh, driving um, a shared view and, and a shared platform um, in terms of the insights and the actions, because um, then that's not what we debate. You don't debate the facts and uh, and the insights. You basically debate the so what and and how do we monetize it, um, which is a great conversation, much more mature conversation. And it's really all about how do we make it simple. Um, big organizations can sometimes have a tendency to make things complex complex for your customers, you make it complex for your employees and so on. And, and sometimes, you know, it's designed for good reasons, you know, controls and risks and all that stuff. But once in a while, you need to step back and really sort of evaluate a lot of this stuff, making sure it's safe, uh, but really thinking, how can we make stuff simpler? 
simpler for our customers, simpler for our colleagues, um, simpler for, for everyone who's part of it. And it, that's also uh, much more rewarding to be part of as a, as a colleague, I think. That's great. Okay, so we've, we've touched a little bit on the future of the discipline. We've got, we've got to get to the final few questions now. We could probably talk all evening your time, but you probably want to get to have some food and, uh, and maybe a beer or something like that. Um, so if we look forward to look towards the future of the discipline, what excites you most about people analytics? Um, so what really excites me is seeing it, seeing it converge. Um, so people analytics really being embedded in everything you do. So people analytics is part of how you do recruitment and assessment. People analytics is part of how you do leadership development. People analytics is part of how you do REM and benefits. So, so really how you tie it all together. And so it becomes that red thread that, uh, that, that spans through all of the people processes. And that for me is step number one. Step number two is then how you connect it to all the other processes and setups you have in, in a company. So it just becomes a way of thinking. And the starting point always becomes, you know, have empathy. Uh, respect data privacy and understand that you're dealing with people, but get some facts and some data um, because you you will deliver better outcomes for your colleagues um, and you'll be more fair. There will be a lot less bias. Um, and over time, sort of making better people decisions will actually positively impact how your customers perceive you and what you deliver to them, uh, which impacts your, your, your bottom line. Right? So, so I think that's the exciting thing. And for me, the exciting pieces are also employee experience moving closely together um, with people analytics and technology. Because to me, that's just a, it's a match made in heaven. That's really a, a powerhouse uh, when you can join up those dots. If you do it with that business focus and you're inclusive and you understand that, you know, that what you're doing is a means to an end um, to help support your colleagues, to support the customers, and you're not just doing, doing it for the sake of doing it. Biggest concern? Any concerns? The biggest concern about people analytics potentially in the future and how it could develop? Oh, so um, so my concerns are sometimes around making sure that we stay on on um, we stay on track when it comes to data privacy and data ethics. Because um, because by now there are there are a lot of things that you can do or could do that you shouldn't. Um, so it's really um, it's really truly understanding that you know you're dealing with people's uh, we're dealing with people who have hopes and dreams and fears and and you're dealing with sensitive data uh, for the right reasons and so on so truly respecting that responsibility you get um, and um, you know I think it's uh, I think it's gone from Microsoft that says you know um, people analytics for good and I've heard others say that it's important that analytics people analytics stays on the right side of creepy um, and and that that's really sort of my um, that's my that's my only concern. And I see, I've seen a few pieces of innovative technology, I'd call it, uh, where sometimes I get a little bit concerned that some of that tech is has moved a little bit um, faster than the underlying science um, is there to support it, right? And so so I think it's it's striking that balance. Um, I don't want to kill the enthusiasm. I welcome innovation and new things. I just want to make sure that we. We make sure it's safe and, and evidence-based um, uh, as well. Yeah, that needs sometimes with potential providers to actually be able to look under the bonnet a little bit. Yes, um, and, and you know my starting point is, you know, most providers are outstanding and, and they actually allow you to look under the bonnet. And, and I've tried a co on a couple of occasions, they said, oh, it's AI and it's proprietary and you can't look, right? And, and the only appropriate answer is to say, okay, thank you very much. We won't be able to work together, right? Because it is our job to be the custodians of data privacy, ethics, and, and doing the right things. And 
the, the minute you forget about that, you're, you're heading towards um, towards big trouble, and you might erode uh, some of all the value that that you spent years building up. In, in it's interesting when we set up Insight Two 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 at the end of twenty seventeen. One of the things we do is we do co creation work with 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 some of our clients, and the first project that they wanted to to co create was an ethics charter that then they could take and it was like an MVP that they could then take and iterate within their own organisations. And it is interesting, I think, that actually when you speak to people in the field, it is the biggest concern that someone somewhere is going to do something wrong and it's going to set the whole field back, um, yeah. you know, which, which is the risk, I guess. Um, so that leads on quite nicely, actually. You know, obviously you've been in this for a while. You've led, you've led teams that, you know, you, you created the team and led the team at Shell. It's still revered as one of the, the, the best in the, in the world, most respected. Um, same at National Australia Bank and previously at AP Moller Merz. You know, what are the key tips that you would give to a new people analytics leader creating the function in their company or, or who wants to advance it to the next level? So, I mean, every, every company is different, right? So the, um, the starting point is, um, you know, realize that there's a global community, right? So um, join Insights 222, join the profile community. I think your monthly um, updates uh, and digital newsletters on, on LinkedIn are a huge resource, right? So it just gives you all the new stuff that's there. Um, so you move faster if you move together with other people that have done some of it before. And maybe you can, you know, maybe you don't have to do the same mistakes that I did. Um, you, can, you can leapfrog some of, some of that stuff. Um, so become part of the community would be my first step. The second step would be make sure you have a chief people officer who truly gets this. Um, and that, by the way, is also how you assess whether a chief people officer is really good or not. Um, and if you have one, great, uh, lean into it. If you don't consider if this is the right time to, uh, to look for other uh, career opportunities, because the HR field is moving in that direction. Um, so you need to be with a chief people officer who gets that. Um, otherwise, you're at risk of, of getting, uh, getting left behind. Um, so that would be my, my, my second thing. And then the third thing would be start small. Um, you don't have to have that, you know, all singing, all dancing set up. Do, you know, get some wins on the board. Um, start with one single thing that the business really cares about. Could be safety, um, could be productivity, could be various other things. And then focus on that and come back with intelligence, intelligent insights and actions that actually inform that uh, conversation and help help make better decisions, um, and then you can build on that, and then you can get into the into the more funky stuff later on. So those would be my my initial uh, thoughts on that. Well, I definitely owe you a beer when I'm down in uh, in Australia next, uh, giving a very kind shout out. So thank you for that. Um, so we, this leads on to the kind of last question that we're asking all our guests on the show at the moment. You know, AI and automation. We've talked about it a little bit anyway, but do you see them as an opportunity or a threat to HR? Both, to be honest. Um, so it depends on how they're applied. And uh, so it's it's a it's a double-edged sword, um, so to speak. So used appropriately, um, huge opportunity. Um, if you don't, you you can uh, you you can do a lot of damage. Um, the analogy I use would be it's a bit like using a power tool, right? If you know how to use power tools, it greatly amplifies, you know, your ability to get work done quickly. If you're like me and not very good at, you know, using power tools, it also greatly amplifies the impact of your mistake. Um, and, and, and AI is a bit like that. Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit of, uh, of time before you can actually see it. Um, so um, huge opportunity, I think. And we all need to lean into this. Um, 
we just need to be mindful that we uh, we do it in a in in a safe and secure way. Um, and in particular, sort of bias replication would be a concern uh, when it comes to AI and you know uh, predictive modeling. It doesn't necessarily have to be how it's all done in the past. Maybe the future looks different. So really, sort of setting the right parameters and making sure you get the right the right testing. But that said, I am hugely excited about the upsides that AI can bring. So I, I think it's I think it's worth it um, to push it into it. Um, you just need to be um, be mindful and, and to be aware of the uh, potential risks as well. And it might be a bit early to say at the moment, but, but do you think the whole COVID-19 situation is going to accelerate the use of AI and automation in, in, in HR? Uh, definitely. So there's no, I mean, I don't even, I don't think, we're even beginning to comprehend the impact that that COVID nineteen will have. Right? Just look at uh, look look at the conversations we're having about working working from home. Right? Um, we leapfrog ten years in a few weeks. Right? Um, and you know the impact on flexibility, the type of talent you can attract, how you can connect. Um, so, so I think it will. I think it will leapfrog that. Um, and then also, you know, COVID really highlighted the need to have data because you need data when you need to make fast decisions uh, and, and you don't have, have all, you know, all the pieces of information that you know, then data sort of helps you steer in the right direction. Um, and I think that will, that will remain even after we return to uh, our new normal. Well, Thomas, thank you very much for being a guest on, on the Digital HR Leaders podcast and joining us from your evening in, in Melbourne. It's, it's greatly appreciated. Um, please, can you let listeners know how they can get in touch with you or, or follow you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. My name is Thomas Ilgo Rasmussen. I work for National Australia Bank. So you can just click the link in there and then we can connect. Thomas, thank you very much. It's a pleasure as always and stay safe and stay well. Likewise. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show in your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Heather McGowan about how COVID-19 is acting as a catalyst to accelerate the future of work and how culture and leadership needs to adapt accordingly. So don't miss that one. Stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.